Hello and welcome to episode three of Encore. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by One License. With access to over 300 member publishers and their divisions and a catalog of more than 125,000 songs, One License makes licensing easy. Their comprehensive licenses allow communities to reprint or project music for the congregation, to post services online containing covered music, and to copy practice tracks for rehearsal purposes. Visit www.onelicense.net today for more information on how One License can provide solutions for connecting with your communities during this season and beyond. One License, inspiring congregational song. Today, we have a special episode, not just because it is our third episode, but today we have our first fellow GIA employee as a guest. I'm excited to welcome on GIA's Senior Managing Editor, Kate Williams. Kate, thanks for joining us today and being our first guest from GIA. How are you? Hey, Tony. I'm great. Thanks for, thanks for having me. This is cool. Of course. You get to be the, the GIA guinea pig, I guess, if, if you will. <laughs> That's right. Do your worst. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Great. So I know many of our listeners know you from speaking at conventions and, of course, from your role at GIA. But can you just tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how that shaped your interests and the person you are today? Sure. I am from uh, Nowheresville. <laughs> I'm from a little tiny town, a, a little speck on the on the map. Tiny town, but, you know, vibrant and full and unique in its own ways. Uh, called Sibley, Iowa. It's in northwest Iowa. Um, it's um, a very rural part of the country, right? Um, in the middle of lots of farmland and little known fact, uh, in Osceola County, we have the highest point in the entire state of Iowa, which wow. is a little bit of <laughs> a fun fact because there's literally like a sign in the ground that says this is the highest point in Iowa, but it's it's just like you can't, <laughs> it's not like a mountain, it's like flat <laughs> plains land. Um, <laughs> so that's where I'm from, Sibley, Iowa. Um, we actually, it's really close to the border of Minnesota, the town where I'm from. So we actually went to church in Minnesota. So I know a little bit about, um, it's, it's kind of, complicated when I explain I'm going to church in Minnesota but I actually live in Iowa part of that Winona diocese that goes across the whole bottom part of uh of Minnesota so yeah my um my 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 roots are very rural and (laughs) um Iowa and I had a kind of a tough childhood but I had the privilege of being able to bury myself in music and learning and so that's what I did I from as soon as I could I was I was um when I was really little I was a dancer but then um kind of really took off uh with my interest in music when I started taking piano lessons in about the fifth grade um And then, yeah, just once I started, I was like so enthralled with it. And I really like wanted, I wanted to get good at it really as fast as I could. Um, and so I spent a lot of time practicing and, you know, other nerdy stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, got really involved in church music that way. So at what age did you move from Iowa to Illinois? Uh, I came to Illinois for college. I went to DePaul okay. for my undergrad. So I was 18. Great. So yeah, I've worked with you what, almost five, five years. And I didn't know that you were originally from Iowa actually. So that's, yeah. Very, Oh really? Yeah. Uh, very try not to tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Lots of bring on the corn jokes. I, I just... <laughs> For sure. So you began working at GIA back in 2016. Could you tell us a little bit about the uh, positions you held before coming to GIA? Sure. Well, um, I was thinking about, uh, this question when you asked me earlier and, um, 
I could go all the way back and talk about my days at a, a video rental store. But ah. I'll spare you some of those details. The relevant jobs in, include um, uh, before GIA, I was a music minister around the Archdiocese of Chicago. Um, I was at St. Clement Parish, which is in uh, kind of the heart of Lincoln Park. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was at St. Nicholas Parish up in Evanston, um, which is where I was right before I came to GIA. And it's a very, very uh, vibrant, uh, progressive um, and, uh, you know, diverse. It's a bilingual community. So that's my most recent experience uh, as a full time music minister. But I also had a fair amount of experience working as the campus music director for Loyola University on the north side. And mm -hmm. um, I was the accompanist for DePaul University's uh, campus ministry mass that they had every Sunday night and they still do. Excellent. In those five years, what are a few things uh, that have taken place in the company or changes that have taken place in the company that you're extremely proud of? Well, the first, uh, I would say the first thing that when, um, when I came into the role of senior managing editor, the first thing that I was really proud of was being able to invite Peter Kolar to be a part of our team because um, I'm really very passionate about uh, learning to worship in, in bilingual uh, communities and learning to you know learn how to love each other better through that kind of music making and, and worship opportunity. Mm -hmm. And the you know the person who has taught me a lot about that is is Peter through his example and through the writing um, of his own his own compositions and then just the you know 20 plus years of his work building up that Spanish and bilingual catalog at World Library Publications before he came to GIA was, um, you know, admirable. And, and, you know, that's kind of like a, it's one of the things I'm, I'm just most proud of is being able to continue and deepen our relationship with Peter um, and his work. Um, and then also just recently being able to bring um, Roger Holland on uh, yes. The, yeah, executive editor for the um, In Spirit and Truth music series, which is honoring the legacy of music from the Black Catholic community. And he's really building on the work of, um, again, this is another one of those things that we inherited from or library publications, but their catalog from offerings from the Black Catholic community with composers like Thomas Jefferson and Cliff Petty and a whole host of, of people that they've really worked on building up relationship with is now kind of uh, under Roger's uh, purview and his expertise, his level of musicianship and compositional skill um, to count that among our uh, leadership at GIA is just absolutely phenomenal. So I'm super proud to bring both of them as a part of our team. Absolutely. I would agree with that hundred percent. We are very lucky to have people like Peter and Roger on our team for sure. Um, next question, you kind of touched on it a little bit. In December of 2019, GIA acquired World Library Publications. So um, I know it was kind of a, you know, obviously any type of big merger type thing like that is a big adjustment. So can you just speak a little bit to the transition, I guess, for GIA as a whole and then also your department? Sure. Um, for GIA, the acquisition of World Library is a really big deal. Um, one of the things that maybe to to an outsider's perspective might have been kind of defining characteristics between GIA and World Library is the fact that GIA has put a good deal of investment into hardbound hymnals um, and what we sometimes refer to as permanent resources in a pew because it lasts eh, a decade or so. 
And then World Library has really built up the experience of um, uh, renewable re uh, worship resource, which means that their missalettes either renew on an annual basis or a quarterly basis. And they, you know, the opportunities, there's, there's blessings and curses of both, right? Because if you have a renewable resource, right. you've got an opportunity to update it more regularly with new music or if there's any language changes. Um, and with a hardbound hymnal, you have the opportunity to really kind of concretize your worshiping community's repertoire. And so people become familiar over the course of years with the, um, the music that they'll be uh, singing and praying with. So with our joined forces, we really get to examine um, kind of the best of both of those worlds of permanent resources and renewable resources. And we get to um, understand more about how our, our nation's uh, worshiping church uses both of them. So it's really um, been a gift to see the, the differences, but really the, 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 the unity of our mission across the board, which is to help people sing and to pray. Right. Um, and they just have a phenomenal staff to get that job done. We've been uh, blessed to get to know Mary Beth, who is bringing her, you know, decades of experience in this kind of, of work. Um, mm. It's a real gift to me and to all of us, um, as well as Alan Hummerding. Keith Kalimba has built up his relationships with a lot of the composers on the World Library side who've really come to know um, his real ability to speak that musical language through his, um, you know, history of really understanding music composition and theory and practice. Um, so we've got this whole team of people that have just <laughs> been able to, to join forces with our team. And I think we make each other better. Um, in our department, uh, it's been, you know, all of the, <laughs> I keep saying challenges, like we're not, like we're not benefiting from this, but, but the ultimate, uh, you know, reality here is that we have become bigger and better through all of this. And I think some of a, a testament to, especially in this last year and the many challenges that have, have complicated this last year for us to have each other to lean on and to learn from and grow with has been one of the things that's been sustaining us through a lot of these added outside challenges. Um, so that just means like in editorial world, that means like we've got to come up with some consistencies in our style and in our processes. And those things continue to work themselves out. But, but overall, like to know that we're all in this for the same reason and we have the same, mm -hmm. uh, same goal and, you know, really passion has given life to all of us, I think. It does, you know, just seem like it's been a real easy type transition, kind of like it feels like everyone, you know, from the WOP family. And it seems like we've, known, we've all known each other for years and years and years now. So yeah. it, really, it has um, really worked out well. Yeah, I think so too. So I think I might know the answer to this next question, but <laughs> who in the editorial department makes people laugh the most during your meetings? Well, I'm sure you think it's me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'm funny, but no one laughs at my jokes. I think <laughs> um, Michael Soleil is pretty funny. Yes. Um, but I don't know if you know this, the real, the real sleeper here is um, Michael Boschert. Really? That guy, he's so quiet, you don't suspect it. But when he talks, it is just the most cutting and dry humor. Yeah. <laughs> he's hilarious. And, and I was, my office in our Bedford Park location was directly next door to Michael Bosher for 
what yeah almost five years right and oh, no. now when you do say that i kind of I, I get what you're saying about he does have those short quick yeah. dry <laughs> remarks that are yeah. that that just land every time yeah <laughs> obviously i'm sure your meetings look a little different this year you know this year's uh, been a little different for us work-wise with everyone being remote so what challenges has that brought forth to you and your editorial team yeah i'm really grateful actually that the team um kind of across the board has transitioned so well to working from home and to you know relying on zoom and slack and email in order to stay in touch the hardest thing is like like we work with print resources and we're used to being kind of in the midst of, you know, when you need something, you want to see how something looks on paper, you just ask John to print it out and then you've yes. got a sample book in front of you. And when you need resources to see what's done, what's been done before and just kind of like that, that, you know, being able to hold something in your hands is so much different than than just looking at something on a screen. And I know that's something that like lots of music ministers and, and uh, music teachers are thinking about now too, because they don't have that opportunity to be in the same room with one another, actually like holding a book or a singing mm -hmm. from an octavo. Um, so it's, I mean, it's been a challenge, but I, again, I do feel really very thankful that so many people have made this transition so seamless, as seamless as possible. But I just miss being in the same room as people. I mean, don't right. you? <laughs> I know we're, 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 yeah, we've got our spouses here at home, but like, you know, <laughs> other people. <laughs> yes. No, it, it certainly has been weird at, you know, at first we started out, um, it was fine at first. And then you kind of hit that summer and you get like a little burnt out just, you know, being at home and not away, you know, with people every day, bouncing ideas off each other back and forth. And then you just miss that that human interaction too, you know, uh, you forget kind of how to hold conversations with people and stuff like that. So yeah, it's certainly been uh, a challenging time, but I do think we as a company have certainly responded very well to it. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously we're, we're starting to make some, um, very good strides in, in our long tedious battle against COVID-19. We're certainly not, um, not at the finish line yet, but what do you think are going to be some ways that parishes around the country can begin to heal uh, following COVID-19? Um, I think that's a really great question. And I really hope that communities are asking themselves this question mm -hmm. and not, not, you know, rushing to be done with, with um, the kind of the, the grieving that needs to be, ha that needs to happen in, in our communities. I'm thinking too of like, especially like this week, it's funny to ask this question in the midst of some of the events of just this week in my, in my life, like other, like life didn't stop so that we can just be focused on how to, you know, how to get through COVID. Right. So like a lot of people are like struggling with kind of grief on top of grief on top of grief. Um, you're thinking of all these um, parents who now for a year have been trying to, um, figure out a homeschool thing or a virtual mm -hmm. thing, or as you can probably hear in the background, like dads who are crashing Legos all day long, like that kind of burnout has been one thing, but I mean, other losses are still happening. Um, yeah. You know, people are losing uh, relatives for reasons other than COVID, but also COVID and not being able to be with their family and, and really mourn and I think you know what happens sometimes when grief is compounded 
And there's all these different things that we're trying to navigate and grieve at the same time. So I think a lot of us are suppressing some of it so that we can get through and survive. But there's yeah. going to be a time when we need opportunities to process that. Um, and so I think that's going to be one of the challenges for a lot of communities is that like, don't like when this is over, don't pretend like it didn't happen. Like help, help your communities navigate through this. And, you know, however long that grief journey might be for communities, if we want to be able to celebrate well again together, we have to learn how to grieve well together. Um, so that's kind of what I would look for opportunities to do myself. Actually, I've had some, you know, I think you mentioned hitting a wall. I feel like I've hit like 16 walls in the last in the last year because it just kind of comes in waves. And I was struggling about a month ago, like quite a bit hitting another wall. And I'm Catholic. And so in the um, in the Catholic Church, we have sacraments that can that can help us with this. And especially not having gone to mass and received communion for a whole year, um, I was really asking myself like, what I need some kind of sacramental engagement and what could I do and I very took me a long time to like work up the courage to do this but I asked our our priest if he would offer me the um, sacrament of anointing of the sick um, mm -hmm. I think I think it's okay to say like a lot of people who are struggling um, with mental illness are really really struggling now and that's, that's part of my story too I've got mm -hmm. um anxiety and depression that I struggle with every once in a while mm -hmm. and so sometimes now it gets yeah even worse and so I went for the sacrament um, of anointing of the sick and it brought me a lot of comfort and peace and you know the sacraments are, are one thing that we learn how to uh, talk about and, and um, make meaning with our relationship too as Catholics but also just that experience of being in the same room as someone else in a safe, controlled environment, we had masks and, you know, everything was right. according to protocol. But being in the same room as somebody else whose only job was to help me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the kind of presence I think we need to, as, as church workers, as educators, we can work on our ability to be there for people who will be needing us after COVID. Yes. Absolutely. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. You've overseen many successful projects in your time at GIA. Are there any specific projects that kind of stand out, maybe because you had a great time working on them or they just hold, uh, you know, a fondness in your heart? Oh, gosh, so many. <laughs> um, one, I would say, this is one of the stories that I like to tell with a lot of pride. Um, when Tony Alonzo brought his revival project to us first, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know what what exactly made me think of this, but in my mind, it was just, it was always a spiral down project. <laughs> I remember there being so much like back and forth and like, we don't really do that here. And I just kept thinking, you know, I think this is a spiral down project. It feels like a spiral down project. And I remember just being like, oh my God, what, like if I'm wrong about this, like what is that <laughs> new here? They're gonna, <laughs> you know, what is she doing? She doesn't know what she's doing. Um, and it made me so proud that that summer when we were able to kind of reveal the revival project, the spiral bound outsold <laughs> anything else by like, right. by like 20 times. It was like ridiculous, but it was just that moment of like, I know it. Yes. 
And that also we've, since then we've had multiple more collections with the spiral bound. So that kind of um, opened the floodgates, I guess, if you will. Uh, yeah. And yeah, since then there's been, um, so there was revival two and we've got a revival three on the way, which is going to be all Christmas stuff, which is going right. to be super awesome because like, who doesn't love a good, like Christmas carol sing? Um, oh yeah. Piano or lessons and carols, or even for use during liturgy. That's going to be great. But we also had, you know, Chris De Silva. I, I listened to your your first podcast with Chris De Silva and his history mm-hmm. project. Is a you can find that in Spiral Bound too. And it just right. it helps, especially like keyboard players and guitar players putting something up on your stand and having it lay flat is just a game changer. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit about a woman tomb? Yeah, that's another project I'm super proud of and will, I think, forever hold a very special place in my heart. Um, it was one of those things that came out of a, do you remember when we um, started doing the kind of like, kind of like visioning brainstorming conversations between marketing and editorial and everyone would just kind of like spitballing ideas like what, oh, yeah. what does the church need right now? And, right. you know. There were lots of bad ideas shared, <laughs> um, but I was really proud that we could pick up this idea um, and and proud to to take on that responsibility. It was something that was um, born out of my ministerial experience and always feeling like you know this is uh, a reality that is just far too common for us to not have more readily available resources to address. Um, in, in, uh, it came up lots of times in my work as a parish musician and lots of times in my private life when my friends have been going through either trying to conceive a child or the loss of a child in the womb. And, you know, I think our church and our, our community really doesn't do an adequate job to allow for a communal processing of that grief. It's kind of related to what you're talking about before. You know, there's lots of things you can find if you're an individual and you're hoping to just find some comfort or healing or something to help you make, try to make sense of of life mm-hmm. um, in the midst of that. But, you know, as a community, we have a role in, in, uh, in all emotions of life. And that role is to, to show up and be present. And so I hoped with this resource that it would provide a really a solid starting point for people to, you know, learn some ideas about how they might show up and be present for that kind of grief. And so I'm just really, really grateful for all the people who contributed to the resource along the way. A lot of them did so incredibly vulnerably, sharing their own story and their own experiences. Um, And then a lot of, um, you know, what we would refer to as more experts on the topic, people who have shown up for uh, this type of grief for a long time in their ministry work or as um, um, as chaplains for hospitals or nurses or doctors. Those are often the people who are in the moment when it happens. So I'm just really, I'm really proud of that. I'm really grateful for it. It's, it, it, I think when we first were talking about it, it was a little bit like, well, what business does GIA have <laughs> sponsoring a resource like this? And the answer to me was so clear because we know the, the power that music has especially in those moments of incredible grief or tragedy. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's a part of those who like to call ourselves musicians. That's a part of our, our duty, our responsibility. So yeah, I'm proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's great. Cause as you noted, there was, you know, a kind of a, a void of 
you know, that resource. And, and it's a great thing that, you know, you were able to help to help fill that in. It's certainly, you know, a help to a lot of people. So, okay, we'll, tune, we'll change tunes a little bit, uh, a little bit more of some casual questions here. Okay. What have been some of the ways that you and your family have spent your free time throughout the pandemic? Well, I think we've watched all of Netflix. Just <laughs> 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 the entire app, it's been all, it's been all watched. So we've watched all of Netflix and um, I, we're so lucky to live right by a little like forest preserve area with a really nice walking trail. So when it was nicer out, that was how mm-hmm. we kind of regained sanity whenever we could. Right. It's been a little harder with this winter. We've had more snow this winter than I think I've oh, ever man. seen in Chicago and um, some cold days. So it's been hard to take advantage of that recently, but I'm looking forward to the warm up. For sure. What is the first thing you and the family are going to do once things return to uh, normal-ish, more normal, I guess? Yeah. Uh, we got to see family. <laughs> yeah. We, um, yeah. Before um, COVID, Ava was babysat two days a week by her grandparents. And mm-hmm. so they haven't, they've missed a whole year of watching her grow up and kind of being right in the, in the midst of it. Uh, so that's been one of the harder, harder parts in our family is to know that that loss is, is a part of it all. Um, so we're going to see as much family as we can. And I just like want to travel again. Um, you know, we haven't used a little bit of travel with conferences and, and right. um, it's a funny story. Actually, I was uh, preparing for a, a reading session and a workshop in Canada right before we <laughs> went on, on lockdown and I, I've never been out of the country before. So this oh, wow. like, like I had to go get a passport and I was like all excited to like finally get out of the country for the first time. Yeah. And like, I think I went and got my passport picture taken like a week before shutdown. <laughs> so when my passport arrived in the mail, I was like, this is, this is a cruel game. <laughs> but I'm ready to travel. I'm ready to go out yeah. of the country when we're, when we're back to normal. Yeah, you're ready to go for sure. Yeah. All right. Now I know this is going to be a fairly tough question to narrow in on. If Kate Williams had to pick her last meal, uh, main course and dessert, what would you choose? Now I have some. I have some qualifying questions as part of your question, which is fair enough. Why am I having my last meal? Am I on some sort of? <laughs> you are. You, you are not incarcerated. I, I promise okay. that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Okay, if I had to have a last meal, I would choose main course and dessert. Mm-hmm. Main course would be a cheeseburger from Osha Ball. Have okay. you had this? Tony Fajardo, you need to have this. And you okay. need to do it now because usually it's in, it's in downtown Chicago. It's like on the west side. Okay. Um, and uh, usually they don't take reservations. So if you want to get into this burger place, it's the best burger in the whole city. You have to wait in line for like two hours. <laughs> If you want to go in and get this burger, it's this little tiny, little tiny restaurant, but like people wait, people wait yeah. two, two and a half hours to get in there. It's amazing. And you get the fries with it and the fries come with a, like a garlic aioli dip. Oh my God. Oh, my God. but if you, so Tony, if you order it now, do this, do it, do it for your wife. I swear to God. She'll love me. She'll love you. Yeah. Um, you put in an order and you just zip on by and pick it up. So you don't have the weight. Right. That's what you gotta do. And then dessert, I would do 
a banana cream pie from Hoosier Mama Pie Company, which is the but okay, so after you get your burger, you go on <laughs> your mama, you have a you have your pre-order of banana cream pie. And right. that that meal right there, you will be your wife will absolutely love you. <laughs> For sure. Oh, that sounds that sounds very good. We what is it, 10 30? We're so yeah, we're not quite to lunchtime yet, but I wish it, it was after here. I know. That. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's another one for you. This one might be tough too, but if you had to pick your dream car. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. As an avid uh, shop talk girl, I'm just kidding. I don't know anything about cars. <laughs> I, I would say the one thing, oh man, it's easier for me to answer the question if I say the kind of car that I do not want. Okay. <laughs> And, you know, no offense to anyone who has a car like this, but I swore before I had my kid that I would not be a minivan mom. Ah, yes. I'm going to live up to that. Not going to be a minivan, minivan mom. I will drive a giant something else. <laughs> <laughs> not a minivan. Well, actually, my senior year of college, um, the car that I was driving at the time was parked on the street and someone um, ended up hitting it. So I used the insurance money to buy whatever I could. So for about a year, I was a minivan guy, believe it or not. I wasn't, wasn't happy about it, but I was. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love the visual. Imagining Tony <laughs> Franchetti with his deep Southside Chicago accent. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Climbing out of a minivan for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another good one. What is on your current Spotify playlist? Well, I just actually a couple weeks ago was um, I think in that, you know, longing for connection and people and <laughs> nostalgia, I built myself a, a, the ultimate Spotify playlist. I'll share it with you if you want. Okay. Um, it's a lot of hits from the 90s. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. We're both nineties kids, right? Yeah. Yeah, But like, you know, kind of nineties and like early two thousands, I guess, but like, I also mm-hmm. like Sarah Bareilles and I like Ingrid Michelson and I like, let's see what's on here. I have it pulled up exactly for this purpose. Um, yeah. Just like a lot of the classics, you know, like I've got like landslide on my playlist and I've got some Damien Rice and I've got some Regina Spector, Bon Iver, of course. Um, and then something from like, you know, some things from like my, my early childhood, like Billy Joel. And yes. A little bit of, a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Excellent. when you uh, put this out, I can, I can share my thought yeah. if I could. It has no GIA on it, so maybe I should fix that. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I should have led that question with besides, of course, you know, GIA songs. Obviously, yeah, besides GIA. <laughs> Great. All right, so I'll ask you uh, just one last question here. We'll wrap things up. Uh, is there anything you could tell our listeners, maybe like a sneak peek of what's coming from the editorial department in the near future? Mm, sneak peek. I'm just dying to tell you about the big project that's waiting in the wings, but I think we got to wait another month to talk about that one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I am excited about just our ongoing work with World Library to determine and and shape the future of of our offerings has really been fruitful. and, And I appreciate all of those conversations. I've also been really excited to continue my work with, um, with Roger Holland, we've been working on a, a resource, a book 
Um, we've actually been writing each other letters for the past year and a half. Oh, um, cool. Kind of working our way through liturgical year um, and talking about uh, just kind of the differences in our perspective of me kind of in, um, you know, in mostly a, a, a white suburban American um, ministerial context and him coming from a black Catholic uh, community. So we were talking about a lot of um, kind of assumptions and, and biases and how could we, you know, again, that question, how can we love each other better and love the you know perspective of one another better um, through our, our, our music ministry work. So I'm excited to continue that work. We've got Kim Harris on board to help us with that now. And um, we've been reaching out a little to um, Father uh, Joseph Brown and um, uh, a lot of people going to be um, contributing to that resource that I'm, I'm super excited for. Um, and then, uh, as I mentioned, we've got another revival on the way. We've got some piano collections on the way. We've got mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people have been doing a lot of really interesting, creative work in the midst of uh, coronavirus. Um, I just got mailed to my house uh, yesterday, actually, the finished product of um, uh, Nora Duncan's um, solo spiritual offerings. He's got yeah. a bunch of spirituals that he's arranged in multiple keys. So it'd be a really good resource for a cantor or even like in a, a school setting when people are wanting to learn more about spirituals and the performance of spirituals um, and be able to do it in a key that's comfortable for their voice. Um, and uh, yeah, we have some, some bigger projects on the way at the moment that um, have really, we've really taken advantage of this time um, of being confined <laughs> yeah. to, to, to pour ourselves into. So I'm excited to share more about those real soon. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, folks. There's some stuff, uh, exciting stuff to look forward to coming from GI in the near future. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome. Very cool, Tony. Oh, thank cool. you. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on and uh, chatting with us and yeah, being like the, the guinea pig for sure. Sure. <laughs> Anytime. Awesome. Have a good rest of the day, Kate. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Okay. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Kate Williams. For a limited time, we will offer all Encore listeners 10% off of Womb and Tomb, which was, of course, compiled and edited by Kate. Use the promo code ENCORE10 at checkout. That's E-N-C-O-R-E, all capital letters, followed by the number 10. The discount will be good for the book, music collection, and recording. Hurry, the discount is only good through March 22nd. Here is a preview of track 11 on the Of Womb and Tomb recording, titled In the Morning, In the Evening. you all for tuning into episode three of Encore. We'll be back with a new episode in two short weeks. Stay tuned to soundboard.giamusic.com and GIA social media channels for updates.
Until next time, take care, everyone.